You are listening to New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. I want to say it again. Happy Father's Day. You know, one of the, one of the things that I think um, we've, we've not done perfectly in the church is on Mother's Day, uh, sometimes we can sort of celebrate and esteem women, and then on Father's Day, sometimes we can kind of like say to men, buck up, rather than honor them. And, and I want to honor men. I want to honor fathers. I want to call them into more. Um, first of all, I want to do that by honoring uh, my own father. Um, <laughs> he's, been a, he's been a wonderful father, he is a veteran, he has helped a lot of people with counseling, and he has been married to my mother 45 years. Here's a picture of them. Can you believe that? <laughs> Remember, we, we want to honor him, all right? We want to honor him. <laughs> but you have been a great father, and I, I want to honor you. Because fatherhood is a, is a, it's a deep joy. It really is. It's a deep joy to be a father. Uh, I'm a father of three wonderful little girls uh, who I chase around and wrestle with and enjoy meals with, and I'm trying to shape them to love the Lord, and it's been an unbelievable joy. I've also gotten to be a temporary dad for three other foster kids, and that's been an amazing thing as well. That's been a joy to be able to pour into their lives, but if I'm honest, uh, if I'm honest, fatherhood has also taken a little bit of a toll on me. Um, I used to remember everything. Now I remember nothing. And so if you're frustrated with me because you've told me something and I do not remember, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Um, if you put the next slide up, the, the, I love Facebook memories, and I always look at them every morning because I just want to remember. And this popped into my feed, I think it was yesterday, and I had no idea what this was about. It says, does anyone have a metal detector I could borrow for an hour? I lost something metal that I need to detect. And... Um, You'd think that was something like this, like that whatever I lost, it must have been important enough for me to ask for a metal detector. I could not remember what this was. It was only four years ago, and I spent all morning going, what was that? What did I lose that I had to proclaim to the world that I need a metal detector? And after several hours, I finally remembered that I had lost someone's keys in grass, and, uh, and I needed a metal detector to find it, and we never found them, so... Um, but that's what fatherhood will do to you. It'll, it will take away uh, your memory. It will take away your memory. Uh, but I found it will also reveal your flaws. It will also reveal your flaws. I, uh, I'd like to take my little girls out on dates and we go get a donut or something like that. And several weeks ago, I was taking one of my children out. And we talk about God and we talk about their life. And I was talking with them about the fruit of the Spirit because they had gone through that in Sunday school and uh, we had also just gone through that as a church. And so we, 
listed out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I asked my daughter, I said, which of those do you really want God to help you with? Which one of those are you weak on that you need the Holy Spirit of God to help you? And she was incredibly self-aware. She listed two that I think she did need to work on. And so it was awesome that she was aware of her own weakness. But then I turned the conversation and I said, which ones do you think daddy needs to work on? Like, uh, which one does daddy need help from God growing in? And, and my hope was really that she would go, you're just such an amazing dad. I'm just not, I'm not sure. Let me, I'm really going to have to think about it, dad. But that's not at all what she said. When I said, which one, like, she almost interrupted me and she's like, patience. <laughs> daddy needs God's help with Patience. And so there I was, fatherhood had revealed one of my own flaws, and I desperately needed help with patience. And today I do, I want to talk about flaws, faith, and fathers. Flaws, flaws, faith, and fathers, men of faith, sons of God. As I've been thinking about my own flaws, and as I thought about men, and I thought about Father God, I've really had a burden uh, for men in our church men in our community, men in our city, um, on what to do with us being men and what to do with the fact that we all, as men, have flaws. I don't know any man that doesn't have some flaws on some level. And so today, even as we look at, we end this series on the Trinity, Son, Spirit, Father, and even as today's fatherhood is a celebration of fatherhood, I want to open it up even more and just talk uh, with men in general. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the scripture. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the beloved son. And so we pray now that you would press in, that by faith we might be changed. We might become better fathers, better men. But most of all, we might see the deep, deep love that you, Father, have for flawed men. We ask that you would change us. And all God's people said. Well, it's a good question when we talk about flaws. Men, what do we do with them? What do we do with our flaws? Our flaws in our thoughts, our flaws in our character, our flaws in our actions. Uh, One thing men do is we cover up our flaws. We don't want to admit they're there. Uh, Many of you remember John Wayne, the, the manly man from cinematography in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and what he said was, never apologize, mister. It is a sign of weakness. But I I really don't think the lack of apology is a sign of weakness. I think refusing to apologize is actually a sign of fear. It's a sign that you can't admit when you're wrong. You're afraid of being wrong, and you don't know what to do with your flaws. And even if we try and cover our flaws, it was obvious from that interaction with my daughter that she knew what daddy's flaws were. And so we shouldn't cover up our flaws because the Bible is incredibly open about the flaws of men. Look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.8. He says, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands, and then knowing that men are prone to certain flaws, he says this, without anger or argument, without the flaws of anger or argument. And so not only if we cover up our flaws, we're just really deceiving ourselves, but the Bible's not afraid to talk about the flaws of men specifically. 
And so covering up our flaws isn't the right step, but neither is numbing down men. See, uh, Barack and I were talking the other day about the flaws of men throughout history and how men and their flaws have caused damage and destruction, and when, when flawed men have gotten into power, they've caused pain. And our culture is having this discussion right now about what to do with men. And one of the solutions that the culture is offering us with the flaws of men is to take men who are dictators and make them into doormats, as one of my friends says. If men are powerful, make them passive. Take the drive out of them, as if the only thing men can do is be a dictator or a doormat. Do we want to take the drive away from men, or do we want to direct the drive? Do we want to shape the passion so that men become men who boldly love God and stand up to evil and love and pursue their wife and pour into their kids? Look what Paul says in Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, don't, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Don't use your power for this. Instead, use it to shape and mold your children. And so I don't think cover-up with our flaws work, but neither do I think numbing down men and their flaws works either, but rather directing flawed men towards faith allowing faith into the flaws. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews goes in and and gives this long list of people who have done great acts of faith. And I was reading through that this week, and I was incredibly surprised by this one little section. Now, there's men and women in this hall of fame of faith, but in this particular section I was reading, it was just men, and I couldn't believe the men listed. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And then skip down, he skips down to verse 32. What more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. What's interesting about these men listed in the hall of fame of faith is every one of them is incredibly flawed. Gideon. Gideon, who's called by God to lead his people and fight the Midianites. And an angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon and says, the Lord's going to be with you. And then I love this. The angel calls Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's response is, uh, you got the wrong guy. My family is weak, and I'm the weakest one in my family. And Gideon has this flaw of cowardice. Even when the Lord calls him a mighty man of valor. And then Gideon does this whole thing where he puts this fleece out and asks God to make it wet or not wet. And that's not an example for us to follow. That's an example of Gideon's refusal to believe because he's cowardly. Gideon's flaw of cowardice. And then there's Barak. Barak, who's told by Deborah, the prophetess, Barak, lead God's people into battle. And what's famous about Barak is his hesitation. His hesitation 
to go. He, he doesn't go. He hesitates to lead God's people, even though Deborah, the prophetess of the Lord, has told him to go. And for thousands of years, Barak has been criticized for this flaw of hesitation. And then Samson. Little boys love Samson. Anointed by the Lord with incredible strength to defeat the enemies of God's people. And yet an incredibly flawed man. One of his flaws was that he had this weak spot for this very manipulative, unloyal woman named what? Delilah. You know her. Another one of his weaknesses, another one of his flaws was his arrogance, his disregard for God, his violent nature, which ultimately leads to him trusting Delilah in a way that he shouldn't, which leads to his capture and defeat. Gideon, Barak, Samson, flawed men. But so were Jephthah, David, and Samuel. Jephthah was born into a flawed situation and lived a flawed life. Jephthah's mother was a prostitute. And he was born into his father's household, and his half-brothers eventually kick him out of the household. And Jephthah becomes this sort of mercenary, this soldier of fortune, this marauder, and ultimately his life is marked by brashness and unrestraint. And he makes this brash vow that ultimately gets his only daughter killed. Samuel, a great prophet and leader who turns a blind eye to his sons who perverted justice, to his sons who took bribes. He allowed his sons to stay in power when they were corrupt. And the great King David, the great King David who used his power to be able to sleep with someone who was not his wife and then cover it up by using his power to have her husband killed. Jephthah, David, Samuel, all men who are deeply flawed. So what in the world are they doing in Hebrews chapter 11? Because Hebrews chapter 11 isn't for the hall of fame of flaws, it's for the hall of fame of faith. Look what it goes on to say in verse 33. Who by faith, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, attained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. All these were approved through faith. Gideon, the coward, was told by the Lord to whittle his army of, of 30,000 men down to just 300, just 1% of the original army. And Gideon does. Though his cowardice comes through, he acts based on what God has said, and God gives the victory in a way where Gideon cannot take the credit. Gideon, with just 300 men, defeats a large army of the Midianites because he expressed faith in the midst of his flaw of cowardice. Barak, who hesitated when the prophetess Deborah said, go and fight, even if you look at his hesitation, there's a little bit of faith in there because what he says is, I'm hesitating, Deborah, because I want you to go with me. And I recognize that God has chosen you as a leader and a prophetess. And if God is with you, I want you 
with me. And because he saw what God was doing in Deborah, his hesitation wasn't merely a hesitation. It was, I want you with me, woman of God, when we fight. And they charge into battle and they win. Because Barak saw that God was working through Deborah. Samson, Samson had his hair cut. It was like his kryptonite. He had his hair cut. He lost all his power. He's captured by the Philistines. His eyes are removed when he's in captivity. And there's one last moment of his life where he's dragged publicly in front of the Philistines. He's in the temple of Dagon, their god. He's mocked publicly. And at that last moment of his life, though his life was filled with flaw, there's one moment where he says, God, please help me right now. Give me strength one more time. And he puts his hands on the pillars and he pushes the pillars down with the strength that the Lord has provided him. And he wins a victory over the Philistines that also ends his life. Because even in the midst of his flaws, he asked God for strength and faith. Gideon, Barak, and Samson, flawed men acting in faith, but so were Jephthah, Samuel, and David. Jephthah was so brash in the vow that he made that eventually got his daughter killed. But there's this sense, too, where Jephthah was completely devoted to the Lord. And his vow comes out of this place of believing that God will do what he said he would do. And though his vow was brash, there's also this part of it where it says, I believe that God will win the victory. And so Jephthah expressed faith even though he was brash. And so did Samuel. Throughout his life, Samuel was a leader of Israel in a very hard transitional time. And Samuel anointed David as king, even though Saul was the king in power. Believing that God had chosen David, he anointed David. He rested in what God had said by faith, even though Saul could have killed him for anointing a new king. And David, David, the flaws of David, the murderer, the adulterer, when he's confronted with his sin, he does not cover it up. But by faith, he trusts that the Lord is exposing it in him. He owns his sin. He repents of his sin. He accepts the discipline for his sin. And because he did that, we know his life as one that was flawed, but we also see the faith that's expressed throughout his life in defeating Goliath, in running from Saul and yet trusting the Lord. All throughout the Psalms, they're written by David as this man who struggled with his flaws but came to this place of resting in the Lord in faith. So much so that his dynasty, his kingship is built and the Messiah comes from his family line. And what Hebrews 11 is getting at is that these flawed men are commended for their faith because they believe God's promises and they acted based on God's character And they live believing in God's purposes. And they move forward in faith in the midst of challenges. And they're commended for their faith, even though they're flawed. But they're not excused for their flaws. See, if you just heard all that and and what you say is, I get it. Men will be men, but as long as they do some good stuff for God, God kind of overlooks all the bad stuff. That's not it at all. Every one of these men has to live with the consequences of their sin and rebellion. Every one of these 
men has to sit under the displeasure of God for their sins. They have to live in the painful consequences of their flaws. None are excused for their flaws. And that should sting a little bit because our flaws do matter. Our flaws do matter as men. They can hurt us. They can hurt others. There are natural consequences that we have to live with when we do not address our flaws. But while these men are not excused for their flaws, they're not excluded either. They're not excluded either. As flawed men, they live out God's story by faith. They live in God's story by faith. Even in the midst of their flaws, John Collins, talking about the the heroes and judges, says this, God is committed to use weak people with deep flaws to do more than they could have imagined. And what that means as men, as we recognize our flaws, is that our flaws do not have to be fatal if we allow faith into our flaws. If we allow faith into our flaws. That means we don't cover them over, we don't hide our flaws, we don't pretend that they're not there, but rather, in the midst of our flaws, we look to God. We look to God in faith. We look to God in faith who Jesus tells us is our Father. We look to our heavenly Father. In John 17, Jesus is about to go to the cross. It's called the high priestly prayer. And it's this moment, it's like uh, his last wishes in a sense. It's his last prayer before death. His disciples are about to abandon him. He's about to uh, go to the cross and have weighed on him the sins of the world. And yet he prays to his heavenly father. And as he prays to his heavenly father, he reveals something to us about what it means to be flawed men and women who trust by faith in Father God. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is the glory of God on earth. He is the exact representation of the Father. He is fully man and fully God. Joan Osborne used to sing the song, said, what if God was one of us? What would he do? What would he be like? What would his character be like? What would his interactions be like? It would be Jesus. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation, the exact representation of God's being. In other words, when we want to see what God the Father is like, when we want to see the perfection of his character, we look to Jesus. God, who has no flaws, perfectly shines forth in the person and work of Jesus. We could answer Joan Osborne's question, what if God were one of us? Well, he would be Jesus. See, God's character is glorious and perfect. He he perfectly loves. 
He, he perfectly is righteous. He's compassionate to those who need compassion. He's slow to anger. He has no mixed motives. He's never selfish. He has no flaws. His character is flawless. And yet what Jesus is saying is that that glory of God was represented in himself. In other words, Jesus was perfect in love. When he was alone with a woman, he was perfectly righteous. When he saw someone on the side of the street who could not help themselves, he was compassionate. When the Pharisees came against him, he was slow to anger. He never had any mixed motives. He was never selfish. He displayed the glory of God, and he was flawless. But Jesus doesn't just say, I have received your glory. He says, I have given them the glory that you have given me. In other words, Jesus demonstrated and displayed God's character, but he is duplicating that character in you and me, flawed men and flawed women. See, God's solution for men isn't to make them less of a man. God's solution is to make men look more like God. Make men who display the character of God just like Jesus. It's not to take our passion away as men, but to add to our passion righteousness and justice so that we are passionate about what's right and we're passionate about what's just. It's not to take away our drive, but it's rather to temper our drive with compassion and patience. It's not about pacifying our power, but rather using our power for the benefit of others and not just for ourselves. Greg Morris says it this way. When talking about men, he says, godliness must balance his natural perils. He achieves mature manhood through adding, through adding the fruit of the Spirit, not subtracting his God-designed nature. Kindness, self-control, Compassion, flavor his strength, courage, and determination, not eclipse them. Such men, gentle and strong, present a paradox to the world. His hands build up his household, wrestle with his boys, sip tea with his daughters, and grip the hilt of a sword against the agents of darkness. He is a godly warrior who sleeps in his armor, fierce and meek, and good wherever he finds himself. God's solution to the flaws of men is to make men into bold men of faith that represent God's love and that hate selfishness and love sacrifice and lean into their heavenly father knowing that he is making them more like him. Your father wants to teach you how to be a godly man, not make you less of a man. He wants to make you more like the ultimate man, the God-man, Jesus. And so as you recognize that you have flawed character, men, lean into the father who wants to share the glory of his character with you. Have you identified your flaws Have you named your flaws? Have you asked those around you what your flaws are? Be careful, that's hard. And yet at the same time, it can be the very thing that opens you up to becoming more like God. 
as you recognize the flaws because God wants to shape you in your flaws. See, a lot of times men think that by admitting their flaws, it be, they become less worthy and less lovable. Now, I know that's hard to believe about men, but it's true. Men think that they are less worthy and lovable when they admit that they're flawed. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 23. I in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one, that the world may know you have sent me. And, remember he's talking to the Father, have loved them as you have loved me. Did you catch that? Jesus is praying to the Father and saying that the world may know that you have loved broken, sinful men like, Father, you have loved me, Jesus. How does the Father love the perfect Son? Infinitely. How quickly is Father God to express his love to the perfectly obedient Son? Without hesitation. Twice during the ministry of Jesus, the heavens opened and the Father's voice rained out. And he pointed to Jesus and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The father loves the son. Father God loves Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. Men, if you have turned away from your sins and turned to Christ, you are a beloved son of God. And that means that your worth is not dependent on what you do, but on the Father's love for you that's comparable to his love for Jesus Christ. See, many of us will struggle with cowardice, with lust, with selfishness, and with pride, and yet the Father sees our flaws, and if we're in Jesus Christ, we are loved. We are loved without hesitation. Infinitely, we are the beloved sons of God through Jesus Christ. And that means that your worth isn't about hiding your flaws or some sort of achievement. It has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with God's commitment to love you as a flawed human being. But we got to let him in. We got to let him in to deal with our flaws. But we deal with our flaws with him from a place of acceptance and love and worth, not to earn acceptance and love and worth. If you have turned away from your sin and you've looked to Jesus, the beloved son, he has taken you from a place of separation to a place of restoration. And what that means is the father and the son, men actually want to be with you. Like some of the times we know that God loves us, but we're like, does he like us? Does he actually want to be in our presence? Look what Jesus prays. This is our last scripture. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. He's talking about eternity in heaven. So that they will see my glory. I made your name known to them and will con continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me me with may be in them and I may be in them. This is really incredible because there's no other moment where we're so aware that Jesus is aware of the flaws of humankind. He is about to be, dis he's about to be abandoned by his disciples, flawed men. He's about to go before Pilate, flawed man. He's about to be whipped and mocked and put on a cross to bear the sins of flawed humanity. And yet his prayer 
is for us. His longing is for us that we would be present with him for eternity. And yet he seals all, he sees all our flaws, and yet he longs for us. Fathers, sons, men, and women, do, do you hear Jesus' bold passion for you? Do you see his drivenness to be with you and get the love of God in you? Do you understand that that love is his bold sacrifice for you on the cross? Fully aware of your sins, he doesn't push you away, but brings you close. This Father's Day, I hope that fathers, men, all of us, can look afresh on our flaws and in a new way let faith into our flaws. Faith in a God who loves us. Faith in a God who wants to shape us and make us like himself, but faith in a God who wants to be with us even in the midst of our flaws. And maybe, just maybe, that will affect the way you operate as a father. Maybe it affects the way you see your own father. But whatever it is, by faith, let the love of God and the glory of God the Father and the presence of Jesus, his Son, let that speak life to your soul this Father's Day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You are the ultimate man, the God-man. And we worship you this morning. We pray for deep healing in our lives. We, we pray for deep sense of your love for us. We ask that you would make us better men that are not afraid of our flaws, but bring our flaws to you in faith. We pray this morning for every man here, Lord, that, that knows you or does not know you, Lord. We pray that you would lean in. Might he feel your breath on his soul and know that he is deeply loved. We pray for those that are longing for a deeper relationship with God that today they might make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. In your name we pray.